What's up, Bills Mafia? It's Joe Marino from the Draft Network, and I'm your host of Locked On Bills. Locked On Bills is brought to you by Built Bar. Promo code Locked On gets you 10 bucks off your first order from BuiltBar.com. Happy Tuesday to you. It's Twitter Tuesday here on this podcast, which we're going to do to start things off. And then uh, later on in the show, we're going to get to a conversation with Locked On Raiders. Your boy Q is the host, and we're going to get an early look at what's been going on with the Raiders and, uh, you know, Bill's future opponent this year. So we'll, we'll get caught up there. But first things first, Twitter Tuesday. First one comes from Tony. This one was a good one. He said, we know our roster is pretty deep, but you are now the GM and you can add only one of the following available free agents. And he gives me the list of Everson Griffin, the defensive end, Logan Ryan, cornerback, really a slot corner, and Larry Warford. Uh, guard from the New Orleans Saints. Who would I pick of the three and why? I would pick Larry Warford. And let me tell you why. He's 28 years old. He's been a pro bowler each of the last three years. I think about the upgrade. I think he's a much better player than John Feliciano. And I don't not like John Feliciano. I think he's a good football player. I think he's a reasonable starting right guard. I think Larry Warford's one of the better starting right guards in football. I think he very much fits the Prototype that the Bills are looking for with their offensive linemen in terms of being physical guys with an edge. Warford is a people mover. He's dynamic in the run game. Uh, He doesn't have the most nimble feet. Uh, He's not going to be all that great on the move, but he is going to clear bodies out of the way uh, in the run game. And, you know, he's really stout in pass protection as well. So that would be my choice there. I reach out to some of my buddies uh, for their opinion here. And uh, uh, Bruce Nolan said Logan Ryan, and uh, that was pretty straightforward for Bruce. Bruce, uh, you know, he loves cornerbacks, and he's not uh, sold on Teron Johnson's ability to stay healthy. I also reached out to Greg Tomset, and him and I are actually, as I'm recording this podcast, we're having a DM exchange. And I think Greg had some good, good thoughts here. He said, I support the logic of all three possible additions. If I had to choose, it comes down to the relative value of who they would replace versus their individual talent level. I think on-field performance of Trent Murphy versus Josh Norman slash EJ Gaines versus John Feliciano is close to equal in my opinion. All three spots have multiple contributors already in place. Murphy, Epinesa, Daryl Johnson, Norman, EJ Gaines, Levi Wallace, John Feliciano, Quentin Spain, Spencer Long. I don't see any of these as material materially greater need than the others all have age injury and talent risks of their own. I believe Everson Griffin is simply the best player of the three available options. So I lean towards adding him as I think he would make the most impact with his talent rushing the passer. And I think that's very good um, logic. And then he really got my head spinning when he followed up with this. He said, uh, if you cut Trent Murphy, Josh Norman and Spencer long, the Bills would save $15.3 million, and I'm pretty sure you could sign all three for under $5 million in net new dollars. So there you go. That's what I would do. That's what I would do. I love that thought process from Greg there uh, and uh, uh, where he came at that. But it's interesting because I, I like his thought process, though. If I could only sign one, though, I, I still would stay with uh, Larry Warford. Um in addition to, I think, him being the biggest upgrade, and I think really Logan Ryan's a more of a slot option, I think the Bills are loaded at defensive end, although I think Griffin's a great player. It's an investment in the run game, but also investment in protecting Josh Allen, which I think is uh, kind of the ultimate trump card. So for me, it's Larry Warford. I put a poll out uh, for this on the Lockdown Bills Twitter feed, 
And uh, this isn't a, a big sample size yet, only 140 votes as, the, as of the time I'm recording this. But uh, Bill's Mafia says 40% Larry Warford, 39% Logan Ryan, and 21% Everson Griffin. So awesome question there, Tony. That, that sparks some good, some good discussion and back and forth. Next comes from Alex, who says, what is your thoughts on dropping Murphy and picking up Everson Griffin? I understand he is older, but if Buffalo is in a win-now mentality, and most like Murphy won't be here next year. Do you think picking up a more productive end would be a good move? Yeah, absolutely. If you if you cut Trent Murphy and add Everson Griffin, you just became a better football team. So I think uh, you know, even before A.J. Epinesa was the Bills draft pick, that was something that I could absolutely subscribe to. So um, yeah, sign me up for that all day long. B Mormon 2020 says, how important do you think opening week versus the Jets is this year? Is this a game, a tone setter, and the rest of the season will be impactive, uh, impacted by it, relatively strong divisional opponent, he mentions. If we had lost opening week last year to the Jets, we could have, which could have easily happened, would the final record have been better or worse than 9-7? and seven? If the Bills would have lost, first of all, going back to last year, if the Bills would have lost to the Jets in week one last year, I think they would have had more to play for in week 17 and would have won that game. I don't think it would have changed the Bills' record last year, but I do like the momentum that it gave Buffalo. And I think Josh Allen, uh, it mattered for his development, you know, to hit that big pass to John Brown and develop that clutch gene and really, you know, something that was an early storyline last year. So I think that was an important win. I don't know that you can sit here and say absolutely everything would have went exactly the same uh, if they didn't win that game. But, um, you know, I think probably still a 10-win football team. Uh, in terms of if the Bills lose to the Jets this year, let's go to the 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 data here. I have a chart here that says the percentage of NFL teams making the playoffs at every record interval. And this is from 2002 to 2018. If you start the season 1-0, you got a 50% chance of making the playoffs according to uh, 1-0 teams since 2002. If you start the season 0-1, you have a... Uh, a 38% chance of going to the playoffs based on this chart. So it's a 12% swing in terms of your uh, likelihood of making the playoffs. So there, there's the actual implications. It's a 12% difference. Look to your right says, I know it's different positions, but cutting Trent Murphy to sign Larry Warford makes too much sense how much would you think it how much do you think it would take to sign him to a 3-year deal having him would be a big upgrade and really make off the offensive run game scary well the thing about Larry Warford that makes it challenging is i, I don't think he's just going to be a cheap player that you can get for a minimal 1-year deal i do think it's going to take something to get him i mean he's 28 years old he's been to the pro bowl each of the last 3 seasons he's a good football player he shouldn't have been available. The Saints did that move and they saved over $8 million in cap space because they drafted Cesar Ruiz in the first round. So, you know, when I think about a three-year deal, uh, I'm looking at guard salaries and I'm looking at like uh, the 7, 8, 9, 10, you know, in terms of highest paid guards in the league, Trey Turner at $11.25 million a season, Roger Saffold $11 million a season. Gabe Jackson, $11 million a season. Graham Glasgow, $11 million a season. Uh, Andrus Pete, $11.5. He's six. I think you're talking about $11 million a season for Gabe Jackson. So three years between $33 and $35 million is what I would expect it would cost to get uh, Larry Warford. And the challenge there is, you know, you've got 
what five million a season tied up in Quentin Spain. You know, you you're 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 not taking advantage of e- the economy of paying players like you know. There's a there's a cost value there, and I'm not against investing in the offensive line, but when you commit that type of money to a player, you know, at guard where you think you can potentially get a more economic option you lose your opportunity to have an econ option, economic option at guard. So um, that would be my only concern, although I do recognize the significant upgrade he would uh, represent for the Bills' offensive line. And, and um, you know, uh, if you can get him on like a one-year deal, uh, you know, that'd be even better. But I don't think, you know, I mean, Larry Warford's a good player. He wants to get paid. He deserves to get paid. And he should get paid somewhere north of $11 million a season. But, yeah, I mean, if you could cut Trent Murphy – that frees up some money this year, and you get him for one year, $11 million, enjoy him, uh, and uh, you have a really solid right guard, and you uh, can focus on you know, how you're going to improve that next year. But, um, yeah, it would, it would make the football team better. Before we go any further, I need to tell you about my friends over at Built Bar. Uh, these protein bars are amazing. I think they've absolutely reset the market for protein bars. These things are absolutely delicious. They have tons of new flavors, tons of great flavors already existing. Um, you can get the variety pack and try a bunch of different ones. If you're looking for, you know, your classic, you know, double chocolate or peanut butter, salted caramel, those are all available too. But if you, if you want to try raspberry chocolate and, uh, you know, orange chocolate, they have German chocolate cake. It's just, they, they're delicious. They're made with real chocolate. The variety of flavors is amazing. The taste is amazing. The consistency and texture. It's like eating a candy bar. There's no chalky aftertaste. Uh, there's no uh, rubbery consistency. It feels like I'm eating a Milky Way bar or a Three Musketeers. They're incredibly healthy for you. Uh, more protein, less carbs, less sugar than your typical uh, protein bars. And, of course, they taste way better. And the variety of flavors is off the charts. So check out our deal that we have for you. Go to BuiltBar.com. Use promo code LOCKEDON. You can get 10 bucks off your first order. Again, BuiltBar.com. Promo code Locked on gets you 10 bucks off your first order. I don't think you'll regret it. Adam says, was scrolling the, the Bills subreddit and someone commented that there is no longer an accrued season limit for practice squad members. I looked it up and according to the Wiki, Wikipedia page for the NFL, <laughs> he said, sorry, I didn't read the whole document of the CBA. It appears that in addition to increasing the size of the practice squad by two, you are allowed to keep two players that have over three accrued seasons on it. Am I wrong in my interpretation? If I'm correct, is there any surprise practice squad members who wouldn't have been eligible previously you could see on our practice squad? Thanks in advance. Love your stuff. Even my girlfriend, who doesn't pay much attention to sports, listens uh, to you along with me and offers offers her opinion. That's fun to learn. You know, I, I can imagine Adam and his girlfriend having a heated discussion based on some crazy thing I said in this podcast. So I, I, love, I love hearing stuff like that, Adam. Appreciate your question. You are correct. Uh, it's, the practice squads expand from 10 to 12 players in 2020 to 2021, and then they increase to 14 starting in 2022. Uh, and that also includes two to four players with unlimited accrued seasons per team. So you can you can have, starting this year, you can have between two and four players. Two to you know two to four players that have played as much in the NFL um, doesn't matter their experience and they will be on your practice squad if they choose to be there. 
Uh, also, the practice squad salaries are going up, and uh, they the practice squad players get uh, 401k and tuition assistance benefits. Um, and then further information on the practice squad that's interesting to me. Two practice squad players per week may be elevated to the team's roster, meaning game week roster sizes could, in, could increase from 53 to 55, and a player elevated from the practice squad to the 55-man roster could be sent back to the practice squad two times without having to clear waivers. So, yes, you're you're exactly right. Things are definitely changing on the practice squad. That's how they're changing. And how does this impact the Bills in terms of players that uh, have more tenure in the league being on the practice squad? Well, I think it gives them a lot more opportunity. And the challenge always is that Teams can sign players off your practice squad. So you're still, you know, it's not like you're protected there quite as much. You, you still have to move them up and down. So you have a little bit more flexibility, but, you know, that's a player that is going to want to have to be on your practice squad and they're going to want to be there, right? They're, they're going to have to view themselves as a guy that isn't going to be part of a, of a active roster somewhere else. So that's kind of the challenge. But, um, you know, it does open up the door for more possibilities. And really, I mean, any guy that you think's on the bubble fits as long as they're willing to be there and nobody else wants them on their, their active roster. Next one here comes from Rob, who says, why can't the Bills place Jake Fromm in the practice squad and cut Davis Webb instead of carrying three quarterbacks and see what they can do with Barkley and Fromm next year? Um, so, and Rob has another question. Let me ask answer this one first. They, they, they can. They can put Jake Fromm on the practice squad. The challenge is if you like Jake Fromm and you want to keep him, then you're playing with fire by putting him on the practice squad because somebody can sign him off of the practice squad. Now, you can elevate him to the roster and um, uh, get ahead of that, but uh, you know, you're know you kind of uh, playing with fire there a little bit because you, know, you at least have to initially expose him to waivers to put him on the practice squad. So uh, you know, if you want Jake Fromm, you, you need to roster him. And um, if he's worth being rostered, then do it. It's valuable to have a backup quarterback and um, he can, you know, step into the Matt Barkley role next year. And if you, if you see that path for him, then don't play around, keep him around uh, because the last thing you want to do is invest a pick in Jake Fromm, see some promise and then let other, some other team reap the benefits that you thought you were getting when you drafted him. Rob's second question was, if you could take any player in the league and add him to the Bills' offense for one year, regardless of salary implication, who would you add and what one player for the defense? For defense, Stephon Gilmore, uh, I would want to have an elite pair of cornerbacks, so Trey White plus Stephon Gilmore gives me that. For offense, I love you, Josh Allen. I hope that you can get uh, even better this year and, and really cement your status as a bonafide superstar in the league, but I'm going to take Patrick Mahomes. <laughs> I, I think that's just the obvious choice there. All right, last one uh, for Twitter Tuesday comes from Landon, who says, do you feel that if there are no fans in stadiums that Josh Allen's play may be worse as he feels like a player that feeds off the energy of the crowd? I um, I do think that there's uh, a negative, negative component to no fans being in the stadium for the Bills in general, including Josh Allen. I think uh, the Bills are a team that really does do a good job of feeding off of the crowd. Uh, obviously, you know, Bills Mafia shows up and supports the team very well, and um, that's part of what makes New Era feel the difficult place to play as a visitor. And so you lose that in a big way if there's no fans in the stadium. And I do think that Josh Allen does thrive, you know, being able to you know put on a show in front of uh, the people that support him. So 
I don't think that's something that I, I, I think is a benefit for sure to the Bills. I do say that, though, with all the, the dynamics that could be in play here for the season, the continuity components of the Bills football team from the coaching staff to the roster uh, to how they chose to upgrade it with a lot of veterans, um, that the Bills are well-equipped to handle this. you know, And so anything that the Bills potentially lose by not having their fans in the stadium, I think you look at the dynamics of the situation and think, well, you know, I think they 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 do gain because of what is already in place in terms of the infrastructure and uh, that you're not really acclimating so many new pieces that are young. So, <clears throat> you know, on one hand, I do hate that, that there could be no fans in the stadium, but also I do think there's enough uh, benefits of the situation that it, that it offsets. And then also keeping in mind that the other teams don't get their fans either. So it's an even playing field. But yeah, when you have one of the, the toughest, um, you know, the most passionate fan bases to walk into, like the Bills, like, you know, the Kansas City Chiefs, like the Green Bay Packers, and you don't get that, you know, it's a loss. If you're a team like the Jacksonville Jaguars or the Miami Dolphins or uh, the Houston Texans that just their fans aren't known for being uh, a major advantage, then it benefits you in that regard. So obviously some weird stuff potentially uh, this year. And, you know, the Bills not having Bills Mafia in the building does not help. And I do think it's not something that I I am um, happy for in terms of Josh Allen and the whole football team because they do feed off of that um, in a big way. Joe Marino of Locked On Bills joined now by your boy Q, the host of Locked On Raiders. And and Q, listen, I, I... I have to apologize right off the bat because I don't think I can say uh, raid is any other way. So we're just going to have to deal with that for the course of our uh, our segment together. I'm sorry if you don't like that, but I don't know that I can do it any differently. So uh, with that out of the way, I am curious to get your take on this football team, especially on this offense, right? I mean, John Gruden's back in town. They go 4-12 and his first year. They go 7-9 and in year two. And so now we're going into year three, a lot of growth. But, you know, it feels like, they're still building this offense in a way. Now, they made some big strides. They drafted Henry Ruggs, and uh, they brought in some competition for Marcus Mariota. So, Q, right off the bat, I want to get your take on what's happening at quarterback. Is it going to be Derek Carr? Is it going to be Mariota? Is it true competition? And do you feel like there's enough around that quarterback for them to uh, reach the success that you know John Gruden has in mind for this offense? Well, you know, that's a, that's a really good question, Joe. And, and, you know, I think that's what's on the mind of a lot of Raider fans is how's this offense going to look, you know? And you mentioned Henry Ruggs, and I'm very excited by that draft pick. I didn't think he was going to be the guy. I honestly thought it was going to be C.D. Lamb because it just felt like he was more of a John Gruden-type guy and what John Gruden wanted to do with that offense, you know, and fit into his offensive scheme better. But with that being said, uh, he could be a very dynamic guy. So I'm thinking that John Gruden has, you know, some plays up his sleeve that he's ready to run for a guy that could really take the top off of a defense and and really could just be explosive with the ball in his hands. So I'm excited about the options that they have now in, in uh, Henry Ruggs III, what they did with Lynn Bowden Jr. In the, in the third round, Brian Edwards in the third round. You know, they didn't have any picks after the fourth round, so I'm kind of excited by that as well because, look, if you're getting a guy in the fourth round, you're probably expecting him to make the team. So I look at all the guys that the Raiders drafted, and I really honestly believe that all of them should make the team, and they all have a role that they'll play early on. And so uh, I just think that there's a lot of 
a lot of excitement as far as the Raiders offense goes. Now they have to go out and execute it, you know, but I feel like the potential is there by what they had. If you if you go back and look and see what they did last year with Darren Waller and Josh Jacobs in particular, those were the two guys that really made everything go. Now everything doesn't have to go through them, even though they'll still be heavily involved. Now you have Henry Ruggs that you can do the end arounds with. You can do the slants. You can do the crossing patterns. You can send them deep. I mean, there's so many different options. You know, speed kills. It's just one of those things. You can't teach it. You either got it or you don't. And now the Raiders have it. And they have it in not a guy that's just a track star, but they have it in a guy that's a real deal football player. So, uh, you know, the potential is there to use him if he's used correctly. And uh, I think that can really make the, the offense go. Derek Carr, as far as the quarterback position goes, he's going to be the guy. You know, it's it's his team until it isn't. So he'll start the season off and uh, Mariota will be behind him and he'll be working on his game. And just like what happened to him in Tennessee, if things don't get off to a good start and, and you know, something happens with Derek Carr, either by way of injury or just not playing well, then, you know, they'll break they'll break the glass and, and tell him to come on in and, and see what he's got. And, and maybe he could be a guy uh, that can, you know, lead the team if necessary. John Gruden was very high on him coming out of college. Mike Mayock was very high on him coming out of college. And I think the most important thing, really, this is this is what it boils down to. He's a veteran. So just in case something happens to Derek Carr and he gets injured or whatever and, you know, knock on wood, no one ever wants to see an injury to especially to a quarterback. But if he does get injured, Marcus Mariota won't come in and cost you the game. He won't just, you know, look like a terrible fish out of water. He's not he's not uh, Mike Glennon. He's not Nate Peterman. He's not Deshaun Kaiser. He's a guy that's won some games. He's won a playoff game. He's been there, done that. He could be a starter in the league if necessary. So I think it's a really good insurance policy that you hope that you never have to, to use. But if, if they have to cash it in, at least it's Marcus Mariota and you feel like, okay, there'll be some, uh, you know, there'll be some quality play moving forward. But I think the potential for this offense, Joe, is really, really big. And uh, I'm excited to see what uh, uh, offense that has a guy that's explosive like Antonio Brown was supposed to be for the Raiders of 2019, what it could look like with a guy that has, has those, that kind of speed and, and those kind of skins on the wall as far as abilities. Yeah, a lot of exciting new additions to the offense, and certainly Mariota, at a minimum, can keep the season afloat right. if uh, something were to happen to Derek Carr, which I respect because I don't love what's going on at backup quarterback in Buffalo. Let's shift gears to Paul Gunther's defense here. Uh, a, lot of, a lot of new pieces, man. I mean, they, they, they've they had several draft picks, obviously, over the last two years to bring talent to the mix here, but also a lot of free agents, whether it's you know Nick Kwiatkowski at linebacker, Corey Littleton, Demarius Randall comes into the mix. They've added LaMarcus Joyner in free agency uh, two years ago. And, of course, Malik Collins. I mean, a lot of new bodies here, even Carl Nassib. Yep. Uh, what's your confidence level in this defense? And I asked that with in mind that the Kansas City Chiefs are in this in this AFC West. So, I mean, uh, seems like this unit's going to continue to get better. But uh, what do you think their ceiling is here, especially when, you know, the, the target is uh, Mahomes and company? Right. I mean, you know, and you, you can only hope to contain Mahomes and company. You know, you're not going to completely shut anybody out. And look, the Raiders defense has not been good for years on top of years on top of years, you know. And so that's the big question. And I think all eyes are on Paul Gunther and that defensive unit. You know, one big hiring that I thought was uh, kind of under the radar through the offseason was Rod Marinelli coming over from Dallas. I think that that's a yeah. big hire because, well, he was with John Gruden in Tampa Bay when they went and won the won the Super Bowl against the Raiders. And I just think that he knows how John Gruden thinks and uh, what he wants out of a defense. And so I think that he's there to help out Paul Gunther. But I think there's a lot of eyes on Paul Gunther. And I think he really has to get it done this year. He didn't have a lot of talent defensively last year. I can give him that. You know, he had Max Crosby that, that showed out to be a really good rookie, fourth round pick, but nobody expected him to be that guy. Now he has weapons. You mentioned a couple of the linebackers, you know, Kukowski 
Sheehan and uh, Littleton. That linebacking core was horrendous. It was awful. So now all of a sudden you have some weapons there. You know, you talked about Nassib. Nassib is there. That's another guy on the, coming off the edge. You're expecting your, your first round pick from a year ago, Cleve Farrell, to be better. You're expecting Max Crosby to be consistent, you know, and, and Malik Collins, that's another pick that I think is sneaky good. I really think that that's a good signing, even though it was only a one-year deal. He is a guy that's worked for Coach Mark Marinelli already. He's on that defensive line. He can help that uh, that rush up the middle, and so he's going to be asked to do a lot. You know, obviously they got P.J. Hall. I don't think P.J. Hall's going to going to even make the roster. He was a second-round pick a couple years ago. I don't think he even makes the roster going in this year. Uh, Mo Hurst, I think this is a make-or-break year for him. He's got to show a little bit more, even though he was only a fifth-round pick. He's got to kind of show something. There's more talent on this team defensively, and this unit has to step up. They have to find a way, Joe, to shave off, I say, about six points a game. You know, they gave up about 26 points a game uh, in 2019. That's just not going to cut it. And especially when you have a team like Kansas City in the division, if you give them 30 points, and look, they scored 31 points in the Super Bowl, and they didn't even really play that that well. <laughs> you know, so I mean, it's mm-hmm. it's it's a, it's a difficult task, but you have to find a way to shave about six points off what you gave up every single game. If you can limit a team to a field goal or a couple field goals instead of a couple touchdowns, you're giving yourself an opportunity. So this, this team has a lot of uh, expectations. It's year three under John Gruden. He's expected to be a playoff team. That's my expectation is that they need to be a playoff team. They got to find a way to get that done. And it's not going to be easy. It's going to be very difficult with Kansas City. But this defensive unit, all eyes will be on them. I think the offense will be fine. The defense is really going to have to prove who they can be. When you certainly love the idea of there being seven playoff teams now per conference, it, you know, it certainly increases the likelihood I, it, to make a comment there about Rod Marinelli. I love what he can mean for uh, Cleveland Farrell. Yeah, I think yep. that's going to be a, a guy that could really help him reach his ceiling, which is a top five pick. You know, is something that I like to see the the real plan to develop a player. And I think that'll do nothing but help him. Uh, so here's the thing, right? I mean, you look at this, this Raiders team Q and, uh, we've seen some upward growth. We've seen a lot of talent come into the building. I want to go back to the 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 brains behind this operation. John Gruden, who they you know they got out of retirement right ten years away from the game. He, he comes back. He's a head coach's football team for you know what, he signed a ten year deal. And, yeah. and then you you pair him with Mike Mayock, an NFL analyst, a, a guy that uh, you know was on NFL Network talking about you know, draft picks and, and calling football games. How is this working? And where do you think the confidence level of the fan base is in this brain trust? Well, you know, it's funny, man. There's more confidence from the fan base in Mike Mayock than there is in John Gruden as a talent evaluator. <laughs> you know what I mean? I mean, obviously yeah. as a coach, John Gruden's going to get that that nod. But I feel like, and I, I'm included in this, that I feel like with Mike Mayock's knowledge of the guys coming out of college and what he used to bring to the NFL network, and now he's just doing it for one team, and that being the Raiders, I think that a lot of Raider fans have confidence in the guys he brings in. If you look at the draft in 2019, there was a lot of questions when the draft was over people thought all oh, the Raiders didn't do that great in their draft and it turned out to be one of the best drafts ever I mean really if you look up and down that draft class they got a lot of production out of the guys that they uh, that they selected and so I think that uh, you know a, a lot of people think that Mike Mayock is really really good at talent evaluating where John Gruden that's not his forte I mean it really isn't and I mean he's He's an offensive-minded guy. Uh, you know, his offense is looked at as, as pretty conservative, and that's what it's been. But going back to what I was talking about the offense earlier, with the new weapons and the new toys that he has, this offense shouldn't be 
very conservative. It should be an offense that puts up some points and can move up and down the field pretty quickly. And it's not just dink and dunk and, and run the ball, run the ball, run the ball, and, uh, you know, ball control. It, it should have other elements of, of uh, you know, a, a high-profile offense. It should. And that's up to him to do it. He's got to go make that happen. And so I think that that's a big question for John Gruden this year. If this offense isn't up to snuff, if it doesn't perform at the level that a lot of people are expecting it to, then I think a lot of folks are going to look at John Gruden and say, well, what are you doing? You know, I mean, what's what what seems to be the problem? You know, you got a speedster in Henry Ruggs. You know, don't treat him like a, a minivan, you know, treat him like a high, high, high profile vehicle. You know, put him out there on the highway and let that thing rip. Don't don't treat him like the, you know, the mom and pop that are going to take their kids to school Monday through Friday. You know, I mean, he he's not a he's not a a. a, a Whatever he's not a, a van pool, you know. I mean, he's he's a dude. He's a speedster, so you got to get the most out of him. Uh, so yeah, I think that John Gruden is is going to really be tested here in year three because, like I said, you don't hire a coach and give him a ten year deal and th- by year th- three think well. There's still no reason why he's not in the playoffs. I mean, there's got to be. He's he's supposed to make the playoffs. I mean, that's that's what you bring him in for, right? So that's the expectations. We'll see what happens. Yeah, and I, I I like where you're headed with that. I was going to ask you a question about expectations, but I think you've you've made that clear that one of these, you know, if it's not the division, one of these three wild card spots, mm-hmm. uh, the Vegas Raiders need to claim. Uh, the last thing I want to ask you here, Q, is one of my favorite things to ask uh, when we get a chance to do crossover podcasts, and that's tap into the mind of somebody that's not necessarily a person who covers the Bills, but you know, you got your fingers on the pulse of the league and, and you know football very well, and so. Very interested to get your kind of kind of take from the outside, if you will, on what you think's going on with Buffalo here, and and uh, what what you see from this football team from from that outsider's perspective. You know, uh, that's a great question, and and really, it's, it's going to lead into a question that that I'll ask in the next segment. But uh, it's it's funny. I look at what the Bills have done and Sean McDermott coming over from Carolina as the head coach, and I kind of feel like they've built that team similar to what the Raiders are trying to do. You know what I mean? They're attempting to build that in the image of their head coach, their front office, and they have a plan in place. They're in a very tough division. Obviously, New England's had the, the stranglehold on that division for the longest. It's a different ball game now. But they're a team that looks like that they should be able to make a deep run. In, in my opinion, and I've said this many times on on the podcast, that I think that the Bills should win the division this year. You know, Now, you got to go do it. On, on the field, not just on paper, but the way it's shaken out and the way that it looked from what they were able to do last year and go 10 and 6, I think that this Bills team is on the right tracks. They go and get Stephon Diggs. I think that that's a guy who's been wanting to prove that he's an alpha dog and not just a, you know, not a good compliment. I think he's going to have his opportunity to show that in Buffalo. So I like the buttons that have been pushed by Sean McDermott, the bush, the buttons that have been pushed by, uh, by uh, Bean. You know, I think he's done a good job as well in the front office. And so uh, I'm excited for what they can do. And can they be the the first division winner of the, of the AFC East in a very, very long time? I, I honestly believe that they can be. That's going to do it for us today here on the podcast. I do kindly ask that you share, subscribe, rate, and review, and I'll be back again for you tomorrow.